0: We come back this evening to our studies in the Gospel of John we have been in John chapter 15 which we have entitled Jesus's viability theology my repeated prayer is that we will be people as Luke described of noble character like the Bereans because we not only listen to the word of God or even receive it as the word of God, but that we study the word of God. I pray that we will be like Ezra. It says of Ezra that he was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses. And that Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of God and the teaching, its decrees and laws, to Israel. That is God's desire for all of us. That we would know better and better his word. That we would study it as a workman so that it would thoroughly equip us for every good work so that our lives would speak of Jesus to others, not just our words, but his word having its influence in our lives. And dear friends, there is nothing more valuable that we could do with our time than to study the words of Jesus. When we were last together we were looking at John chapter 15 and verse 16 I'd like to take a little bit of time this evening and go back and look at what Jesus has been teaching us here in this chapter and then come to where we last left off in our study We have called this chapter, Jesus's viability theology. And that is because at the very beginning, he presents to us this paradigm of viability. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me as I also remain in you. And here is his principle regarding viability. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit except you remain in me. This is his paradigm of viability. And this is the principle of viability. No branch can bear fruit of its own efforts. It must remain in the vine. We are the branches. He is the vine. Only as he remains in us and we remain in him Can we bear fruit? But this is his purpose for us, as it is for every branch, that it bears fruit. We then looked at the heart of viability. Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself. In verse 9, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. This is an emphasis that we especially heard from Jesus in chapter 14. And yet it's one that we see throughout the life of Jesus in what he says and what he attributes as the basis for all that he does. This word, remain, that is at the heart of viability. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. But Jesus doesn't... Tell us to do something that has not been first applied by him. And that is a truth that we have seen many times in our study of the Gospel of John. And here he repeats it again, just as I. He has remained in the Father, and the Father has remained in him he emphasized that in John chapter 14. And now he says to us in John chapter 15, you remain in me just as I remain in the father, remain in my love just as I remain in the father's love. Keep my commands just as I have kept my father's commands. So, Jesus is our true paradigm. We want to do what he did and we want our lives to reveal that we are truly in him. In verses five through eight, Jesus enhanced that paradigm of viability. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus has talked about bearing fruit. And then being pruned so that we bear more fruit. But the goal is to enhance fruit-bearing even more. And so he gives us this emphasis, that you bear much fruit. And much fruit does have a purpose. It is to the Father's glory. It demonstrates that we are truly the disciples of Jesus Christ. He is revealed as we bear much fruit. Therefore, that ought to be our prayer. Lord, help me to bear more fruit. I want Christ to be revealed in my life. In verses 9 through 16, Jesus presented to us an expanded paradigm of this principle of remaining in him and it producing results. Let's go back to that passage and look at what Jesus has said. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command love each other. So Jesus is expanding this paradigm of viability. The foundational paradigm is I am the vine, you are the branches. Your purpose is to bear much fruit. This will show that you are My disciples it will bring glory to the Father now Jesus expands it he shows the different ways that it's worked out in our lives Jesus first of all presents to us the love obedience paradigm as the father has loved me so have I loved you Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. When we looked at this paradigm, we asked the question, does that mean that I only experience God's love because I am obedient? Well, if that were the case, then it would be necessary for us to be obedient in order to experience God's salvation love but that's not the case is it remembering the words of John the Apostle in 1st John chapter 4 this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins or the Apostle Paul writing both to the Romans And to the Colossians and emphasizing that when we were God's enemies, God demonstrated his love for us. So God loving us is not contingent upon our obedience. That would be works. That would be earning God's love. And he gives his love unconditionally. But we cannot experience. The fulfillment of God's purposes in our lives unless we are walking in the same kind of Union in which Jesus walked with the Father the oneness that he had with the Father Jesus prayed in John 17 father I pray that they will be one as you and I are one so that the world will know that you have sent me. Now at the end of this paragraph, Jesus has said, this is my command love each other. And we're going to see this emphasis in the next paradigm, but a very important purpose for you and I walking in love is that Christ will be revealed. That love brings us into unity, just as being obedient brings us into greater fellowship. If one of our children is disobedient, that creates a brokenness. That creates a fracture. There's something in the air. There's something that's not right. And there's something that needs to be made right for us to begin to experience the same kind of fellowship that we had before. John emphasizes this principle in 1 John. And the whole purpose that Christ has been revealed to us, he said, is so that we might have fellowship with him. But in order to enjoy that fellowship, We can't live to a different agenda, a selfish agenda, an agenda of self will, which is sin. We must walk in fellowship. We must walk in his light. This is what Jesus is teaching us. The same love obedience relationship that he had with the father that enabled him to fulfill the father's will. the same relationship that we are called into so that we can bear much fruit the second thing that jesus emphasizes is the relationship paradigm and he said my command is this love each other as i have loved you greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what i command then jesus presented to us the partnership paradigm in verse 15 i no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead i have called you friends for everything that i learned from my father i have made known to you Isn't it wonderful that Jesus calls us into a partnership with him? And yet, as we noted when we studied this particular paradigm, there are many who have no desire to be in true partnership with the Lord. As long as he blesses them, as long as he meets their needs, they are satisfied they have a slave mentality but they do not have a partnership mentality but one of the wonderful truths that the Apostle Paul presented to the Corinthians was that God has made us his partners his fellow workers Jesus committed to his disciples and to us the Ministry of Reconciliation of being his witnesses in all the world. And God so graciously invites us into partnership with him. And then we came to the grace paradigm, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name this is a powerful verse it is a keynote verse it is a verse that is filled with theological scriptural practical implications Jesus remember is using his time with the disciples this evening to lay the foundation for the full apostolic revelation that the Apostles will receive and give when you and I read through the letters that the Apostles wrote we can see that everything that they said built on the foundation Of what Jesus was emphasizing to them in this evening and this is one of those verses that contains a vast amount of apostolic teaching that is given through their letters we looked at this theology of choosing you did not choose me I chose you no doubt when Jesus spoke these words the thoughts of each of the disciples went back to the moment when they encountered Jesus and he called each one to follow him they did not seek him out he sought them out Peter and Andrew James and John were engaged in their career of fishing, just as their fathers had. Matthew was in his traitorous capacity as a tax collector for the Roman government when Jesus walked up to him and said, follow me. Nathaniel, who was brought to Jesus by Philip, would hear Jesus say to him, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Each one was in a different setting. But certainly each of the disciples knew that they would still be back there if Jesus had not come. And called him to follow in his prologue the Apostle John stated he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God. And then John wrote, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As we have indicated, the scope of Jesus' teaching To his disciples this evening is expansive it's panoramic it encompasses the Godhead the authority of Scripture eschatology or future things prayer pneumatology the Holy Spirit discipleship the doctrine of perseverance among other things but at the heart of it all Is this soteriological or salvation truth that John stated in his prologue? That we have been called into an exclusive relationship with the eternal God through His initiative and grace. What did John say? He came to that which was His own but his own did not receive him yet to all who did receive him to those who believed he gave the right to become children of God. Children who were not born out of any human means, but born of God. Again, This is one of the most wonderful truths that you and I could meditate upon this evening we have been called into an exclusive relationship that is children of God through his initiative and grace within this paradigm of grace which Jesus is declaring To his disciples are three foundational truths that every Christ follower must deeply assimilate you know with many Christians it seems that the truths of God's Word only penetrate the surface Jesus warned of this in his paramount parable the one where he said if you don't understand this you won't understand anything about the kingdom of god it was the parable of the sower the seed in the soil and he talked about seed that fell on hard ground seed that fell on stony ground superficial depth and it was quickly choked out seed that fell but was choked out by thorns or as he defined it the cares of life the deceitfulness of riches you and I need to deeply assimilate the truth of Jesus his word needs As Paul wrote to the Colossians to deeply reside within us this is what the blessed man of Psalm 1 was doing his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night and he will be like the tree that is planted by the streams of water That brings forth his fruit in its season. His leaf also will not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. Deeply assimilating. This is what Ezra was doing. Studying God's word. So that God would be known. His ways would be revealed may you and I deeply assimilate what Jesus is teaching us the first of these three foundational truths is this a right relationship with Christ is based on divine prerogative he came Jesus said You did not choose me, I chose you. Divine prerogative. Peter and Andrew, Matthew, Nathaniel, or any of the other apostles did not approach Jesus to establish a relationship with him. He approached them. Remember the testimony of John the Baptizer? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus did not become the Lamb of God when he went to the cross. That determination had been made in eternity past. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, It speaks of the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. And so Jesus, the lamb came into this world. The word was made flesh and he came full of grace and truth. Jesus provided the basis for God, the father to exercise his prerogative to choose for his eternal purposes and glory, those who would be contaminated by sin. Think of that for just a moment, because that is the truth. The lamb was slain before the creation. Of Adam and Eve before their sin before the world even existed God made provision for being able to redeem and choose even before the beginning of time the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus and said But when the kindness and love of god our savior appear he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the holy spirit whom he poured out on us generously through jesus christ our savior so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life looking at those Verses. What are you and I doing? Can we find anything in those verses that is our work, our effort? No. It is all the doing of the Godhead. The grace of God being brought to us through Jesus Christ the working of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and give us a new birth in Christ, justified by His grace, made heirs of the hope of eternal life. You and I are recipients of a divine choosing You did not choose me. I chose you. A right relationship with Christ is based on divine prerogative. The second foundational truth is this. A right relationship with God, and by extension, a suitability to serve the purposes of God, requires a compatibility that could only be accomplished through Jesus the lamb that takes away the sins of the world looking at that truth it reminds us of what the council of 24 elders sang in honor of the lamb you are worthy because with your blood you have purchased men from every tribe and language and nation and made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God Paul uses the terminology in Colossians chapter 1 of having been qualified by God to share in the inheritance of the Saints so a right relationship with God and a suitability or a qualification to serve the purposes of God requires a compatibility that could only be accomplished through Jesus the apostle paul wrote in ephesians chapter 1 for he that is god the father chose us in christ before the creation of his wo- of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight there's the compatibility holy and blameless In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will in Christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding again you and I are only compatible we only have a right relationship through the work that is accomplished by Jesus Christ remember what Peter wrote and he said you've been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold from this empty way of life that's handed down to you through your forefathers." but with the precious blood of the Lamb. It is only through the work of Christ that you and I are reconciled to God, made right with God. Repeatedly, we have seen Jesus emphasizing the word in. We saw that in John chapter 14, and we coined it Jesus's in theology. And they reminded the disciples once again here in chapter 15, that there is no basis or viability for a relationship with God apart from Him. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Once again, any branch in me that does not bear fruit the father cuts off any branch that does not bear fruit is a withered branch that is cast into the fire it is only in Jesus that there is any viability and this is again a fundamental apostolic truth you and I could brainstorm and come up with dozens of different verses from the letters of the Apostles that emphasize this truth there is no basis for relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ in Colossians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 the Apostle Paul wrote but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. How are you and I reconciled? The previous verse, verse 21, Paul emphasized that we were enemies of God because of our mindset and our evil behavior. But now God reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death. In verse 20, he said, By making peace through his blood shed on the cross to present you holy and blameless without blemish free from accusation there's the compatibility and it could only be accomplished our sins could only be forgiven on the basis of Christ's merit the riches of God's grace Because of his blood shed on the cross, the payment paid, the lamb slain. And even when Paul continued in verse 23 if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, he is still continuing the same thought that there is no other basis for us continuing a relationship with Christ. We must remain in him. We must continue to live that life by faith. This is why Paul had such contention with the churches in Galatia, calling them foolish, declaring that they had been hoodwinked and put under a spell. because they were trying to live out a relationship with Jesus Christ through their own efforts rather than through his life within them. Once again, a right relationship with God and a suitability to serve the purposes of God requires a compatibility that could only be accomplished through Jesus oh hallelujah he is more than sufficient and thirdly this choice of divine prerogative and qualification was brought to us as the grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ John chapter 1 and verse 17 remember what John had written the law was given through Moses but as Paul emphasized no one could be made right with God through the law no one could be justified and then John continued but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ remember what John had written the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The words of John 3.16 when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus are reflected in the words that Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2. Like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. For us to do. So, there in that verse, we have this understanding. All of these ideas are captured for us. God took the prerogative to save us. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We are qualified, we are made right with God and made suitable to serve God through the work of Jesus Christ. In the following chapter, the Apostle Paul continued this theme, and he applied it to his own salvation and calling. He wrote, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least, of all the Lord's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. What is Paul saying? I had no qualification. I've been qualified. I've been made right. I've been entrusted with this work because of the grace that came through jesus christ god's gift it is only through divine prerogative that you and i can be brought into a right relationship with god it is only in jesus that we have right standing acceptability compatibility and qualification before god It is only in Jesus that you and I have life and the right to be the children of God. It is only in him that it is possible for our lives to have viability. For what we do to fulfill the purposes of God. This is Jesus's paradigm of grace. It is all given in him. Not by any merit, not by any choice on our part. He chose us and ordained us that we should go and bear fruit for if this grace has its full effect in our lives as the Apostle Paul was describing in his own life, then you and I will possess real and lasting viability so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So let's recap it like this. In his paradigm of viability, Jesus presented the evidence of viability, fruit. No fruit no viability. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. When there is fruit, the evidence of God's grace in a person's life, the true gardener seeks more fruit, more effective grace, more Christ likeness. Every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. But what the true vine and the true gardener really desire is much fruit. This is, too, my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. But it goes even further because there is an ultimate purpose that Jesus has in mind. Fruit that has eternal value and as Peter said will result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed now you and I have seen some incredible truths in this understanding of choosing when did God choose you and me the scripture is clear He chose us before the creation of the world. And before the creation of the world, He predestined that you and I would be made holy and blameless in Christ. Redemption was provided even before we get to Genesis 1-1. When we come to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 what do we find out we are God's handiwork workmanship created in Christ Jesus through the new birth to do good works to do God's works to do works that We would only be suitable to do if he qualified us and then Paul said which God prepared in advance for us to do when did God prepare those works when did God determine what he wanted you and me to do as his works At the same time that he chose us, which God prepared in advance. Before the creation of the world. When he chose us in Jesus Christ. This is why what John is recording for us in the words of Jesus is so profound. This grace paradigm, these words of Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I had you in mind with the father before the creation of the world. When I became the lamb that would be slaughtered from the creation of the world. When we chose you in me to be holy and blameless, to be forgiven of your sins, to be justified, to be made righteous. That is why bearing fruit is such a big deal. It's an eternal deal. Fruit that will last because it was fruit that was determined before the beginning of time when he chose us. And so as you and I look at these words, We understand what God is desiring from us. And why he was willing to pay such a price. He wanted to forgive us of our sins. But he also wanted our lives to accomplish purposes that he had in mind for us. Even before the beginning of time. For me, that's an astounding thought that God was thinking of me, choosing me, thinking of me and wanting me to be in partnership with him before he created the worlds, before there was Noah, the preacher of righteousness, before he chose Abraham, before he brought Israel out of Egypt. God had chosen you and I in Christ Jesus to be made holy and blameless, to be in Christ, so that we might be partners with Him in this work of grace to accomplish the redemption. For which jesus christ came how awesome is this calling and this choosing that you and i have been invited into let's pray together father you didn't need us to create the heavens and the earth you existed long before you uttered those words You had heavenly beings that are supernatural, that are far beyond in their ability and their service to you, anything that we could ever be or render. And yet you chose us. You chose us to partner with you. You chose us to bear fruit that has the potential of bringing you eternal praise and glory. You chose us to bring to its fullness the work of Jesus Christ among the nations of the earth. How amazing. That you called us. And you ordained us. Father, we pray that we would be perpetually amazed at your grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That we would be profoundly and continually honored. To have been called into partnership with you and that we would want to bear fruit that will last so Lord I pray that your word will richly dwell in my heart I pray that it will work within me to make me more like Jesus Christ and so that you can do through me everything that you determined before the beginning of time. I want to be all that you desire for me to be in Christ and for your glory. Do that work for each of us, Lord. We thank you for one another. We thank you for the open and free opportunity that we have together and study your word and share it together. We pray tonight for our brothers and sisters who don't have such freedom. And we pray, Lord, for those who have never heard the name of Jesus. We pray that you would continue to use us to intercede that the gospel of the lord jesus christ that the good news would come to them we pray your blessing over one another we pray your protection for each one in our church family and we thank you in the name of jesus amen